You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about BuildBook, who in addition to sponsoring this episode, they've developed a program to help all of you during this extremely difficult time. If you don't know what they do, they offer a tool that funnels all the conversations and decisions that occur between you, your team, and your client before, during, and after projects into one place and made it dead simple to use. They've taken something that is chaotic for most of you, like staying on top of all the messages you're getting over text, phone calls, job site conversations, you name it, and brought it into one channel that's simple for anyone on your team to use. Look, I don't need to tell you guys this, but good, clear communication with your clients and team is more critical now than it has ever been. BuildBook knows how important this is for you as well, but also knows the strain this crisis is having on your business. So they're offering their software to you for free. Yes, you heard that correctly. To help you get through this unprecedented time, BuildBook has put together a program to provide you with some free resources, including their software. It's an amazing opportunity that I strongly encourage you to take advantage of. So hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777. That's one word, BUILDBOOK. They'll immediately send you a link that brings you directly to the page to sign up. There are no strings attached. It's just their way of doing what they can to support your business. So go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK, one word, to 33777 to get your free account. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. This is Spencer. I'm here with Brooks and Wes. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. How you doing, Spence? Going great, good. Spence. Going great. Right on. Um, so we've kind of started a informal tradition of seeing what you guys are reading. So Wes, what are you digging into these days? Oh man, I should have, uh, sorry, I just downloaded a new book. It's by a futurist. It's really interesting. I heard him interviewed on the Adam Carolla show and I've totally forgotten his name. So anyway, we'll just put it in the notes. Just started it. Um, but it was the the first chapter is on Uber flight, which basically is the concept of Uber uh, trying to make a business out of flying cars. And he's talking about how really all the technologies are coming together and how quickly things are changing that we are going to see this by probably 2027, 2030. And wow. have pads, they'll be able to offload about 4,000 people a day. You know, the, they probably have 15 companies that can produce um, 
a flying car that can do vertical takeoff and vertical descent and can carry four people, passengers plus a pilot. And then they would automate the whole thing. So everything would be run through artificial intelligence and in terms of traffic and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but the mandate that they laid out for what the minimum requirement was for these cars, yeah, there's probably 15, 16 companies that say they can produce that and are working on it. So it's kind of crazy all the, but anyway, his point is, look at, we got all these technologies coming together. Everything's coming together. Life is good. And the rate of change is going to be monumental. <laughs> so, um, but in a positive way. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. Well, I, I've been kind of waiting for teleportation. So did he say anything about that? Uh, no, not in the first chapter. Maybe that's <laughs> chapter seven or something. Maybe a later chapter. Yeah. Well, Brooks, what are you, what are you digging into? I have just been, well, two things. One on the business side, I've been re-listening to the e-myth by Michael Gerber, just like uh, we were talking about that a few episodes ago. And so I've just been getting back into that. And I've, uh, for fun, I've been listening to a audible book. It's called You, You Ought to Know Adam Wade. And it's just, this guy's a great storyteller, just tells some great stories. And uh, so just, it's great just for enjoy, you know, enjoyment. And just this guy just tells these stories and he just cracks me up. So you ought to know Adam Wade. So super funny guy. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And for everybody, we'll, we'll drop those in the show notes. Wes, you're going to say something there. Well, no, I was just going to ask what the last name was again. Wade. W-A-D-E. Oh, Wade. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Super, cool. super funny guy. He's, if you've ever listened to the moth main stage or the story, the storytelling, um, venue they have a podcast and he's really well known on that so pretty fun cool right on cool well today we're gonna we're gonna talk about probably one of the most challenging parts of business at least uh i think it is which is the people part of it and i know over the years you both of you have probably had your fair share of um employee challenges or just interesting scenarios that you have to navigate and you know, so I thought it would be helpful to kind of share some war stories, so to speak, but also just some practical advice about how you navigated those situations or how you wish you would have navigated those situations looking back on it. Um, so Wes, as we, you know, kick things off, I figured, hey, what's kind of a bizarre story um, that comes to mind where you were dealing with something that involved, you know, people in the business? Sure. Yeah. Well, I've probably got a number of stories, but uh, since we're just looking for kind of unusual stories, and these are the types of things that you bump into when you actually start managing that somehow they never brought up in management class. And, and it's just like, hey, here's a case. Anyway, the stranger ones. It wasn't a huge deal, but um, when I first bought the direct mail company back in. 96. About 97, I noticed that there is this problem in that it's a production environment. So, you know, we've got all these crews working on machines. So you'd have two or three people working on one machine and then maybe, you know, 20 feet away, you'd have another machine, another two or three people working on it. So altogether, we had maybe 30 people working in the shop. And since it's the post office that we're working for assembly mail, one of the things that at that time, you bundled your mail together with rubber bands. 
And so the post office would provide you with these huge, massive bags of rubber bands, really heavy duty rubber bands. And so this sounds like fun. So you can imagine what was going on as I'd walk out on the floor and all over. And for those of you who are just listening, I'll describe it. But in my hand, I'm holding what's known as a rubber band weapon. So what people would do is they'd take about four or five or six of these rubber bands, stretch them out, tie them into a knot, and then they'd have a loop on one end and then they could shoot them at each other. And uh, so these things were actually a little lethal, you know, it, it hurt, I would imagine. And you can take an eye out. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. It's like Christmas story, right? <laughs> with, a, with a Red Rider BB gun. Man, you could take an eye out with that rubber band. So anyway, I tried different things. I'd say, hey, you know, let's, we need to, we got to stop doing this. You can't, you know, this could be dangerous. And that's pretty low key. I had a pretty friendly style. I'd walk around all the machines in the morning and check in with everybody and how's your day going and, you know, try to get everyone off to a good start. But after about five or six months, I was pretty frustrated about these rubber bands and I wasn't making any headway. So I had to modify myself. I just called everyone into the break room. So we had 30 plus people in the break room and I just stood in the middle of the room and just went totally dead silent. And I raised up the rubber band and I said, the next person I see with one of these, this will be the last day you work at this company. And then I walked out, never signed another rubber band. <laughs> so <laughs> that was it. They took me seriously, which I was serious. Uh, but I thought, you know, it's kind of silly. You have to get to that point where you have to do that. But it worked. And I, I think the point of it for me was, well, sometimes you do have to change your style if you're not getting the results that you want then you're going to have to try a different tack. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you guys haven't figured out Wes's style yet, he's more, you know, low key, like you kind of mentioned and, you know, anti-confrontational. So that probably was pretty difficult for you, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about styles in a little bit, but yeah, for me, it was at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Brooke, sit down in the parking lot for parking lot for two hours and get ready to go in and give that, give no. that speech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> so Brooks, you got, got any that come to mind? I had this, we had this one employee that in, we're in being in the construction business and we always had laborers, uh, pickup guys, and they were always hard to find. And we did not, you know, we'll come back to, you know, change is what you would do, but we didn't have an HR department. We just, you would, you heard about a guy who might be good, you, you'd hire him. And we had this one employee that, you know, of course, we didn't, back then he didn't do any sort of background checks, any drug testing, you know, all the things that we would do, you know, now. And um, so turned out this guy had a, a drinking problem. Um, turned out he had a gambling problem. And uh, so one Saturday night, he shows up at my front door of my house, uh, you know, drunk as a skunk. And he wants to borrow some money to uh, so he can win at uh, pull tabs at the local tavern. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to loan you any money to go uh, play pull tabs. So in a fit of, <laughs> I don't know, a spite or indignation, um, we show up at work on Monday morning and the company truck's gone and the employee's gone. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. So it turns out. <laughs> 
he had gotten mad at me because I wouldn't loan him money to finish pull tabs because he was definitely going to win that night. Definitely. Stole the truck, drove it, yeah, drove it across the state, dumped it, and disappeared. You know, we're like, well, what happened to the truck? What happened to, you know, it, but we, we didn't put it all together until several weeks later, the police find the truck and they're like, well, hey, we found your truck down here, you know, 300 miles away in the forest. He just dumped it and, you know, on some forest land and never, never saw him again. Yeah. So from that, you know, we'll so what's some the other things. There, yeah. <laughs> the lesson is <clears throat> get someone to do your HR, your human resources, even if it's a subcontractor, uh, that's easily easy to do. Uh, always have uh, mandatory drug testing. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe interview people before you hire them. I don't know. You know, <laughs> you know we were maybe. kind of that was an back option at that option. point. It's like, oh, yeah, it was that was, uh, yeah, oh, you have a pulse, you can drive, you know. Oh, we wouldn't even check driver's licenses, you know, just. Like, you know, if someone would show up, it's, it was so backwards. I can't even believe we did it. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, it sounds yeah. like you were doing the gambling there, Brooks. <laughs> oh, and we were it just, but, un, you know, 25 years old, have no idea. You're just making it up as we went along. So, yeah, that's, yeah. The message there is, you know, learn about HR. If you don't, you know, don't know. <laughs> So how do you learn about HR then? Oh, really? Is that a serious question? Yeah. I mean, Brooks oh, just said, well, hey, you got to learn about HR. Brooks. Like, what are some what are some good steps? Brooks's point is a good one. And, and I had written that down just as I was thinking about today's call is that you really do need to be solid on your HR. So I, I agree with Brooks in that most small companies – you really can't afford a full-time HR person. It's absolutely not. You know, I mean, that can go up to 100, 150 employees. I mean, that's still small. I mean, it is, I think you, you still have to come up with a way. Yeah. So, no, that's okay. But I mean, I think, uh, you know, we've always found that outsourcing your HR function to either another company like a PEO company or, you know, I think Brooks, you've done a little bit differently than using a PEO company, but Find someone who's rock solid in HR and hire them to do that function, whether it's on an hourly basis or contract basis or whatever it is, but get that covered outside your company. Um, and we can talk about some of the other benefits of using an outside person, but Brooks, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And what does PEO stand for, Wes? You've used that term before. Oh, yeah. Um, payroll, payroll employee <laughs> or something. Yeah. I'll have to look yeah. at it. Okay. And so we, in, in our company, we use an HR consultant. Um, and you can, you know, anybody can find one of these people. They don't have to be in your neighborhood. I mean, we could actually put a link in here if someone wanted to use somebody. This, this person's in Oregon State. Um, and she did all of our interviewing. Um, she, she did do payroll, but she handled all of the functions, background checks, interviewing, reference checking. And then she would just tee up some, you know, two or three candidates for us for whatever position we were hiring for. And in construction, you're always hiring. You know, you're always, even if you have a great crew now, you're like looking for people to be in the wings there to come on, you know, building your bench as, as you call it. So we did it that way. 
Um, and, you know, we were 20 people at the most, but even in our other company now, where what do we have, 150 employees, we use that same consultant that right. way. Yeah. And I think the, the yeah, so you have to have a screening process. You really have to think through Absolutely. what is my screening and hiring process. And Spencer, you know, you've got a pretty darn good process at Builder Funnel, um, which I really like. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. What's your screening process and hiring process? Because I think it produces really good results. Yeah. And that was something that, you know, we did maybe, you know, an interview or two, you know, the first few times and then you learn as you go. And so we just kept extending, you know, the process and adding more layers and more steps. And so uh, really, I think today we've kind of built it into a system where people see what we're doing and what we're about on social media. And so we do attract a lot of client or uh, potential employees that way, but then they have to apply uh, through a form on our website. They have to read through our core values and we give them some homework assignments before they ever have that first connect call. And then they do a connect call, uh, another call with uh, somebody in more of a senior role. And then we start lining up individual meetings with similar roles to the one that they're applying for so that those um, people on our team can interview them. And so by the time they get to the end, which is our last step is a culture interview where we all just grab coffee and, and hang out in the conference room and, and talk and get to know each other and see if it's a good fit. Um, we've gone through maybe seven or eight interviews. And so by that time, you've got a lot of hours in with that person. And that was a concept that I got from, it was actually uh, Dave Ramsey's book, Entree Leadership. And he talked about his hiring process and it was really extensive. And so I just kind of modeled it after that by adding in more layers and more steps. Uh, but his point was, you're going to spend so much time with this person. Try to get as many hours in as you can with them prior, because then you've got a real good feel of who they are as a person, if they're going to be a good fit. And, and obviously you're looking for skills and uh, you know what they bring to the job, but there's a lot of other elements that you're looking for. And those can be tough if you only have a couple of interviews where you're just asking skills-based questions or trying to see right. if they can do the work. So that's how we've kind of evolved it. How, how many hours uh, do you think you have into before you'd actually make a hire? I mean, this would be helpful because I could tell you I'd probably have maybe five hours into it for our company. So yeah, so I'd be curious to know what how many hours you guys have. Yeah, let's see. We've probably got hour and a half and then we go into the individuals and we probably get another uh, two to three hours there. And then I usually get an hour in near the end and then we do a culture interview for an hour. So yeah, we're probably between five to seven. Yeah. I bet you're, yeah, I bet you pushed seven and that seems like a lot. Uh, but you think about how much time, how, how how difficult how difficult it is to disentangle yourself if it's not working out you know it's hard for the, em the employee it's hard for the employer so you know probably seven is on the low side for probably what we should should do for hiring and, and right. seven's made a lot to me based on how I've hired before and then I think about the time I spent hiring somebody I'm like that's nothing compared to how many hours you spend having to unwind something that does not work. But yeah, 
you go on the web and Google, you know, cost of a bad hire, you get some pretty incredible numbers as to what it costs a company to have a bad hire. And as you said, Brooks, to kind of disentangle yourself from it. And, you know, on the low end is like 15 grand, which I think is wild. Oh. I think it's probably a hundred thousand, you know, dollars or just because it's so difficult. And, and there's a lot of untold costs too, that you can't really measure in terms of how they impact your culture and, and everything yeah. else. I mean, it just slows you down so much because you do all the training, you get them up to speed. And then if you have to go, you basically restart that whole process. I saw, um, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk. He had a nice way of framing it, which was hiring is guessing and firing is knowing. And so in thinking about that, like you're always guessing when you make that hire, why not give yourself the best guess possible by getting more time in? Because yeah, um, they say 50% of your hires, even if you go through a, pretty exhaustive process and have a chance of not working out well. And, yeah. and on both sides, right? The, the employee, the person coming in, you know, everyone wants to put on their best face as much as you on both sides. Even if, if you're trying not to, if you're trying to be super genuine and show what you're, you're like, but you always want to, you're always selling a little bit. You can't help it. And then, uh, so for them, it's a risk as well. They, totally. they, they know what the job oh, sure. is think they know what it's like but you really don't know until you get in there and you spend a couple of weeks yeah yeah we, now, we had, go ahead brooks we had a we had an employee we had a division a handyman division that we had uh, created built up you know we we're doing a couple million bucks in handyman work it, you know so it was cranking and the person who ran that division wanted to you know continue to move on and improve and so we had another position for him and so we went to hire for uh, this person to run the the handyman division, and you know we knew exactly what we wanted, and we spent a lot of time looking for the right person. We went through three operations managers for that division, and the last one actually just cratered the division, and we shut it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, did that, what did that cost? Yeah. Right. That's the cost of a bad hire. <laughs> Yeah, well, that just shows you too how hard hiring is. You know, you knew what you're looking for, and you're still guessing at the end of the day, just because you don't know. You don't know a lot of stuff, and you can't know a lot of stuff. You have to ultimately make the call eventually. (laughs) Yeah, we and we made the the call. The last guy, you know, it it kind of went through two people, and they, you know, they were not successful. And we, um, the last guy, you know, he just ended up just running the business into the ground in the course of, it only took him six months and Jeez. it was over. Yeah. And we just said, you know what, we're not making enough money on this to be worthwhile to, to do this. And so, but it was a good little business, you know, but bad, bad hiring, bad hiring. So how do you, how do you handle um, kind of this HR side when it's family, you know, when it's uh, a cousin, a nephew, a, son, a daughter, you know, something like that, because obviously the dynamics change, you know, um, I, I, I don't know, the more we've been talking about this, I feel like it just, it just is different. And maybe you guys disagree, but Wes, you know, how do you think you approach some of these issues? Is it the same or is it different? I I think it's, that's a really super interesting question. I think if you are in the management role and you are managing family members, non-family members, then I think it's the same. 
at least that would be what you would strive towards is uh, I'm going to treat a family member exactly the way I would treat a non-family member and the way I manage them, the way I promote them, the way I compensate them. And that sends a lot of different, it sends a lot of good messages. One, it sends the message to all the non-family members that so-and-so doesn't get special treatment, either positively or negatively. Um, and so they can feel like it's a fair environment. So that's the way I would think about it in managing down. I think managing up, that's much more problematic. And I think that's, I, maybe it's the same as in any business where you're trying to manage your boss. So if your boss happens to be your mom or your dad or an uncle or an aunt, or um, you, you're still going to have to manage that person because you're not going to be able to change that person out. And I, I guess it, I guess it would be the same managing up, whether it's a family member or non-family member, other than you do have to see them at Thanksgiving. But it's the same thing with your boss. You can't you can't manage up and, and get your boss so mad at you that they, they terminate you. You got to figure out how to do that in a proactive and a good way. So that's my thought, Brooks. What do you think? Yeah, it's the, I think that the, in a lot of these situations, you have a younger person working for an older person. You know, you'd have a, a son or a daughter working for a parent. You would have a nephew or a niece working for an aunt or uncle. Um, you know, you might have cousins working, one cousin working for another cousin. But I think a lot of times when it's a younger person, then, and, you know, if you're in that situation right now where you're working for an older uh, relative, think about, you know, how can I be the best employee I can be? You know, what do I need to do to increase my skill set, to improve my maturity, to improve my ability to work, you know, for people, to be a good employee? And then that'll, you know, that's something I always think of. I could have done a better job of that when I was younger. And even you can do it now, whatever age you are, because uh, you're always working for somebody, um, no matter what. So it's thinking about that. I think as the as the older person, if you're, you know, if you happen to be more mature and you're and you're managing somebody younger, a relative younger than you, again, I think I agree with Wes's point, which is you know, treat everybody equally and, you know, you'll, you'll reduce a lot of your stress. And if you're, if, Hey, this, this relative is working in this customer service role and there's 10 other customer service reps, they get treated just as they, you know, just the same. They don't get special perks, car allowance, things that wouldn't come with that role. I'm going to give you a little, well, actually a big piece of insight that most construction companies don't even realize. Nearly all of the problems you encounter in your projects and business have one thing in common, communication or lack thereof. Think about the last time a project went sideways. I'm guessing if you traced it back to its source, it had something to do with a missed or miscommunication. In fact, 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to poor communication during projects. Needless to say, good communication needs to be a priority in your business. And that's especially true with everything that's happening around us today. BuildBook has created a simple solution that makes communicating with your clients and team incredibly easy so nothing slips through the cracks. And as a reminder, they've also made it 100% free for you to use during this uncertain climate we're currently in. So hit pause right now and text BuildBook, one word, to 33777, and they'll send you a link to sign up. All right, let's get back to the show. 
how difficult is it to do that? You know, I, I, what I'm hearing is, you know, striving for treating that person the same as a non-family member. I feel like I, you'd often see one way or the other. They either get special treatment and it's like, oh, they can get away with more stuff or you're harder on them because you expect more from them. Um, but I mean, have you guys been in that position? Like how difficult is it to, to strive for the equal? Hmm. I don't know. Brooks, you got any? Well, what, I, what I would say, one idea might be, you know, okay, let's say you're running your business and maybe you don't you only have two or three employees, but you want to be brought on a, a nephew or niece, son or daughter, and you're trying to treat them, you know, equally or comm- commensurate with the, the other team members. Um, you, you divide, you, you split yourself and you say, okay, as the boss, this is what this position pays. And this is what this is. If you want to do something else for your child, or your nephew or niece, do that in another way outside the business, which is, you know, hey, I want to, you know, treat everybody to a nice trip. Well, that's because that's a family situation outside of the business. And you're very, you have to be very clear with that person and say, hey, here's your job. This is what it pays. If you don't like what it pays, go work somewhere else. You know, but if this works for you, great. And then, hey, over here, I'm putting on my parent hat and I'm taking everybody on a trip. It may mean you have to go back and the person says, well, I, I don't have much vacation time. Okay, well, take it unpaid. That's your that's your employee problem, not – so I, I think trying to consciously separate the two you know, is totally possible, but you have to be really conscious of what you're doing and not just kind of meld it into one big pot. I totally agree with what Brooks is saying. I think I would add one little twist to it, I guess, because in many cases the reason that – that younger person has come on is the older senior person is hoping, Hey, maybe this person can develop and turn into the person that will provide my exit strategy at some point. So I think it's very possible to be consistent with that younger generation in terms of how you treat them from a management management standpoint, but it doesn't mean that you can't go that extra step and provide that mentoring aspect as well, which is, you know, we're in the business, we're operating the business, I'm managing you in the business, getting the tasks done and those types of things, but then taking time separate from that to say, okay, now let's talk about the business. Let's talk about some of the bigger issues with business. How does this business fit into the bigger picture? How do you manage? You know, this is how I'm managing you and this is why I'm managing you this way. So I think if you have a good enough relationship or can develop that relationship with them, which hopefully you would want to, if they're going to possibly take over the business, then you can provide both of those things. Um, a lot of it depends on the maturity level of the person who comes in, I think. But once again, that's also a telling sign, right? If they're too immature to be able to take the mentoring along with the management, they may not develop into that person who's going to be your exit strategy. So I think, they can get more, but you want it to be the right kind of more. It's not more perks. It's not more this, but it can be more energy, I guess, into helping develop that person. Yeah, that's, I think that's super good insight. It kind of feels like what both of you guys are saying is just trying to draw the communication line. So you're saying, okay, we're 
we're in your role or we're talking about the business or we're talking about the separate family thing where maybe you get some nice benefits, but it's not benefits related to the business. It's just, this is what we're doing family. Um, Brooks has a a great analogy or um, about the hats, Brooks. You want to share that? I think that's a, might be appropriate. Okay. One of the things that we did, I learned this actually in a nonprofit um, board that I sat on and um, in the nonprofit, you had to have, you had your board role, you had your volunteer role, and you had your donor role. And depending which hat you were wearing depended on what you would do in that role. So switching that to um, a family business, you would have your family member role, you'd have your employee role, you'd have your owner role, and you might have your boss role. So depending on which hat you need to be wearing at different times. So maybe you're an owner of the business, and so you would have your owner hat for some decisions. And maybe you'd have your, um, maybe you're a minority investor in the business, you'd have your minority investor hat, or you're an employee, you'd have your employee hat on. So those are the different hats you have to think about wearing. And if you think about what role um, am I playing right now, um, that's super helpful. So as you think about that, you're, if you're a son working in the business, you're like, well, I'm, I'm have my employee hat on right now, but maybe, you know, on Saturday I'll have my son hat on, which is, or my daughter hat. Um, and, uh, so that's a, I wish I had learned that a lot sooner, I guess. I, you know, I think within a company too, you can actually develop a language around that where you'd say, mm-hmm. Hey, guess what, Bob, you know, I'm wearing my owner hat right now for this conversation or, Hey, I'm wearing my dad hat, whatever it is. So people know where you're coming from right off the bat. And they're not going, well, I wonder if he's wearing his dad hat or if he's wearing his owner hat or manager hat or just the big jerk hat, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, I like that a lot. I feel like it just, and especially just communicating that on both sides, you know, so that everybody knows, Oh, okay. This is the, the hat we're both wearing and then you can just dive right into what you need to, to do. Um, yeah. I might have to implement that here. Uh, but let's it's talk it, a little bit. interesting to think about it in terms of hats and try to think about how many hats are there. Um, <laughs> and that's yeah. why when I learned that in that nonprofit board situation, it was really helpful because you would have a donor who might also sit on the board uh, who would work as a volunteer and it would really yeah. be confusing for staff, like, well, what authority does this person have? And do they are they using their donor authority because they donate a lot of money? Or are they using their board authority? Uh, so it's so it's super interesting. And I think you have to have some integrity around which hat you're wearing so you don't so you don't use say you're using one hat and then use it to get something else that you want. You know, I'm going to use my Absolutely. dad to get something that I want as a manager or vice versa. So yeah, that can be tricky. I think also it's a helpful um, strategy for working couples, couples that work together because they come home mm-hmm. working together all day. Now, you know, when do they transition from work life to home life? And gosh, right now, when so many people are working from home, it gets even more difficult because you're working from home and now we're not working and now we're interacting as spouses. So I, th- I think those types of conversations can be pretty handy. 
Now, Brooks, did you ever get a bunch of these hats made up so you could just physically actually put the hats we, on? We did actually for that nonprofit, and it was super helpful. I was going to do it for uh, for our current company, and I haven't done it, because, but we haven't come back and had that conversation again because you have to refresh on it like anything to, re- mm-hmm. to remind people. And, and some people aren't interested in it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just not. They don't want to participate in that kind of that, that level of introspection which is, oh, which hat am I wearing? Um, you know, some people might just be fine with, I don't really care. I just want to get what I want. Right, and yeah. I, you know, I'll wear all three at the same time if I have to. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where it's helpful if it's coming from the top, you know, down. Yeah. Or senior folks. It, it's harder to drive that sort of strategy from the bottom up. Super hard to drive that from the bottom. Um, you could do it. I mean, if you... It's been at where you are in the company. Um, yeah, if you're at the very bottom, it's not going to happen. And the situation I was in, um, we had staff, but we had an executive director who drove that discussion, who was high enough up in the in the hierarchy to then say, hey, here's something we need to be working on. Yeah. If you're starting out at the bottom, swamping out houses or something like that, probably not going to go very far. <laughs> Yeah, but that's great. That's a really uh, yeah tangible uh, example for how to navigate the, that situation because I think it can be tricky. But let's talk a little bit about management styles. I'm just curious to learn a little bit more about uh, your guys' style. So, Wes, maybe you can kick us off and then, Brooks, you can chime in. But, Wes, what, what do you think your management style has been over the years? I'm sure it's evolved a little bit. Well, I don't know. If I think about my management style, I'd probably say it's clumsy. Stripping a lot. (laughs) So I I think I always naturally just because my personality embraced a kind of walking around style, you know, pretty low key, wanting to engage people, have it be collaborative, you know, feel like I'm part of a team or they feel like they're part of a team working together. Um, That that doesn't always work. And I, and I think the example I would produce would be in emergency situations or high stress situations, you know, then in, in a lot of cases, then you need to, if you've done disc profiling, you kind of let need to let your, your D flag fly, you know, where you're high D and you're going to, you, you need to control the situation and really say, this is what we're doing. You're going to do this. You're going to do that until you can get through that crisis point And then, and then move on. Um, that's just kind of the way I look at it. But the, the thing you have to remember as a manager is that your style, whatever it is, whatever your default style is, I guess, whatever your default is, is not going to be the right style for every situation. And you got to be aware of that because it can create problems for you if you always show up, even though you want to be consistent in your, in your presentation. But if you're, sometimes your style can get, get in the way. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, is that you have to, you know, if you're going to be a business owner, uh, you want to be a leader, then you have to be introspective enough to think about, you know, what is the right style for this situation? You know, for me, you know, I'm you know, on the disc profile, I'm a super high D, so I like to be in charge. You know, I'm not really into collaboration or, you know, teamwork. And those are all things that I have to work really hard <laughs> at to try to bring forward. Yeah, there's no yeah, I in I'm team, right? <laughs> there's no I in team, absolutely, right? So I have to work very hard to be 
workforce teamwork. It's not my natural state. Um, but if you want to be successful as a leader and as a business owner, then you have to work way harder at it than everybody else does because, you know, you're trying to do something with your company. And so that's where it's super challenging. I don't know how it is for you, Spence, in your situation where, you know, if you adapt as you go or how you do that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, Wes and I have always been pretty similar in, in that style that we're more team oriented. We like, we like to be liked, you know, so, you know, telling, having a hard conversation is harder, you know, at least for me, because I don't want that to impact my relationship with that person. And so I struggle with that dichotomy of wanting to move the business forward and knowing the right move for the business, but then not wanting to negatively impact the relationship. We're just worried that it will, you know, so um, I definitely have to pull myself out of my default, you know, and, and so I, I do think it is very situational for me because that is my style. Oftentimes leadership or management moments require a different action than is the most comfortable action for me. So I'm, um, I'm uncomfortable more often, I think, in those types of... Yes, I think you have to be, if you you want to run a company or grow a company, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because there's just going to be those situations where you have to... Because everyone wants to be comfortable. Well, there's there's going to be a a difference in in how that works out. Yeah. If you... I mean, relationships are super important. Um, but sometimes if you, in a business setting, if you prioritize, this is going to sound bad, but if you prior, <laughs> but if you prioritize the relationship over results, or if you prioritize harmony over results, then you can end up in a situation where you actually don't take the necessary steps in a timely manner because you aren't willing to step into a role that has some conflict in that. And if you're not willing to do that, then you may end up tubing your company because you're not willing to do that. I think on the flip side of it, if you're always, Hey, I don't care about people. I'm all about results, whatever that means, but you know, uh, you need to show up every weekend and you know, you need to work and you know, you just drive your people super hard and you don't think about the relationship yeah, you can do the same thing or you won't have as, you won't be as successful as you could be, or you'll churn through people as we talked about at the top of the hour, you know, where you don't have a good process for, for vetting people and bringing people in and it's going to cost you a lot of money. So there is a balance in there, but I, but I think the the managers or the, the folks that aren't willing to have engaged in conflict, they're going to, they're going to struggle in terms of what Brooks had grown. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we've mentioned the book before, but the dichotomy of leadership by Jocko Willink. I mean, you just described it to a to a point, which is you can't be all the way on one side and you can't be all the way on the other side. It's this tug in the middle, and sometimes you're shading one way or the other, but you've got to know when to to flex it one, you know, to one side or not. And I think that is what makes a really good manager or leader is because you're adapting to that specific situation and what that situation calls for. So it does require the ability to, to, to know your people. And so I think if you are a somewhat empathetic person or 
then that that can play to that if you are recognizing that that's a, a thing that you're doing, which you're trying to find what's the right approach for this situation with this person um, and what we're trying to accomplish. Then that can be a little bit easier if you have some ability to read your people. If you don't, that that can be a little tough. Yeah, then one of the things that just keeps coming back to me um, as we're as we're talking about it in general is that wherever you are right now, you can improve. So whatever the situation is, you know, as you're driving down the road, listening to this, or you're, you know, whatever you're doing while you're listening, to this is that no matter how messed up it is at your company or how things are not working, you can you can improve from where you are by just making that decision to say, okay. I've got, you know, 10 relationships that are, that are not working right. The business, there's these problems in the business. And it's, it's thinking about what you're doing as a leader that then allows you to say, okay, I can get better at this and I can start to, uh, you know, in little steps, little baby steps, fix and improve each one of these situations. And over time that will get better. Even if it seems like it's, you you just have this impossible mess right now. Yeah, that's good advice. And we got a, f- a few minutes left. I wanted to to sneak in one more question for you guys today, um, because I think in in talking about HR and you know the things that you're working through, you like you get into these moments where sometimes you have a situation where you're trying to coach somebody along, but then sometimes you have a moment where, like the rubber band example, where obviously nobody did it, but if somebody picked that up, you kind of laid your cards on the table, and that would have been immediately fireable offense. Um, so I'm curious to hear from you guys, like, have you ever had to fire somebody just on the spot immediately? And, and why was it that type of situation? Wes, can you think of any of those types of examples? Oh, sure. Yeah. I've had a number of those over the years. Um, in one situation, I had an employee flash a knife at another employee and wow. that was terminated immediately. And I don't know that employee was really thinking anything about it or whatever, but it was just like, nope, don't tolerate that. That's, and so that was the end of that. Uh, we had a pretty strict drug use policy and so terminated several people over the years for violation of the drug policy with random drug testing. And it's unfortunate, you know, some, some good folks that did good work for the company, but you know, it's just a black and white situation there. Um, had a manager once who, was berating uh, one of his employees and I fired him on the spot just because, you know, just that's not the way we treat other people and couldn't tolerate it. And maybe I could have counseled him through it. I, I don't know. But if the situation is like, eh, no, you, you're old enough and you know how to treat other people and, and this is not the way we do it. And I don't care what the circumstances are. So you're gone. Well, it's important in that situation because you're you're also demonstrating for the rest of your employees how you want, you know, what's the culture of your company, which is, hey, we do not verbally abuse people, regardless of the mistake they made. There's a proper way to to discipline somebody and a proper way to help them learn to do a better job. But right. yelling or yelling at them and stomping around is not the you know the way to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Brooks, can you think of have you ever had I, those situations? Yep. You know, when I when we were t- when I was thinking about that question for the for today, the ones where I've had to terminate somebody on the spot would be for yeah drug policy, 
Um, we had an employee leave a client's house unsecured, which is just something that you just do not do. Um, so that was just so, so egregious that we had to terminate them, you know, for that. Um, but most of them would be due to my poor management would be made the wrong hire, didn't manage them correctly, let a situation get beyond where it should have been without, you know, doing a, um, you know, a performance improvement plan, you know, some of these tools I didn't know about, you know, early on in my career. Um, and then you end up terminating somebody because it just gets so bad. Whereas if you've done all the other things first, you could have, you know, even if you have someone right now, you have an employee who's like, oh, I cannot fix this situation. You could still say, well, let's put them on a PIP performance improvement plan and we'll work on that for 30 days. And if nothing else, it buys you 30 days to find somebody else to replace them. They kind of know where they're going. So you can start to improve your HR skills you know, immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think before you do anything to, to Brooks's point, you know, always check in with, with your HR company. Always make yeah. sure you do that. I don't care, you know, if you feel like you have to fire that person right away and that's where you're going. Stop for five minutes, make the call, check in with your HR describe the situation and make sure that you're not letting your emotions run away with you. And, um, and then, then, then you can make the call, but you can always take five minutes to do it. Even if you have to just kind of set that person aside for a minute and say, Hey, I need to stay here. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. And Uh, even if you don't have an HR person right this minute, you know, you're listening to this and you're thinking, Oh man, I have about two or three situations that are critical. You can easily, you know, Google, you know, HR consultant, your state, your city, um, talk to your CPA. You know, you can, in 10 minutes, you will find a resource. And in 30 minutes, you'll have an answer for what's the right thing to do. And most likely out of that, you're going to come out with a great resource to help grow your company with a great HR person. I think, Brooks, though, you alluded to the idea of kind of what I would call a postmortem. Even after you've done this action that you felt you had to take and you took it as the right thing to do at that time, but still always go back, talk to others that were involved with the situation, think back through it and, and take some time and reflect on it and go, okay, what are all the things that I could have done before this? What could I have done? Don't, don't let yourself off the hook right away. Just saying, oh, you know, they did this. Well, okay. Why did they do that? Did, was there something earlier on I could have corrected? And then that goes back to system, which are, gee, what could I change in my system? And even if you're, you don't have no system today, you say, well, I don't even have a system for that. Okay, well, first thing you're going to do is you're going to get an HR consultant. And then you're going to write down, these are my 10 steps of how I hire. Yeah. Make yourself a learning organization, you know, make yourself a learning organization. If, If you go through your career and you don't learn from each experience and you don't reflect on it, you're not getting anything out of it. You know, you're just, you're, you're feeling like, oh, there's no pattern to anything. You know, there usually is a pattern. So try to learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a pattern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cool guys. Thanks for, for joining me today to talk about this and for everybody listening, hopefully this was helpful. And and sometimes I think just hearing some of these other, you know, examples or stories, just, you know, it's nice to hear that we're all going through similar challenges at different points, you know, and stuff comes up and sometimes there's no, you know, exact playbook, but I think what you guys laid out today are like 
some good action steps that you can take frameworks to apply over your situation. So um, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next week on Builder Funnel Radio.